Great, good morning. My name is Travis. I'm happy to be here today. Happy the snow is light. Fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to see you guys. And um, just that song, I want to know you more. Remember Pastor talking about that in Philippians, Paul saying, I want to know Christ. Paul had been serving Christ for so long, writing all these letters to all these churches, and he says, I want to know Christ more. Experience his Holy Spirit in me. Need revelation from the Lord for daily living and daily assignments and daily nourishment. We need to abide in the shadow of the Most High. Abide. Lord, we thank you this morning. Hallelujah, God, that you're here. And you inhabit the praises of your people, Lord. They sound like faith to you, and it pleases you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. You gave your son to die for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Oh, how I need you. Oh, how I need you, Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Mm, God, you're so great. Bless your name. Amen. Amen. God always has what we need when we need it. Always ready to supply our every need. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Hmm. The last two times that I've had the opportunity to speak, um, we've been walking through 2 Peter, the book of 2 Peter. Uh, We've gone through chapter 1 and reading Peter, writing his letter, and uh, encouraging and challenging his readers to grow in their faith. Grow in their faith. Peter's a realist. He lays out facts. Matter-of-factly, he shoots straight to the point. In chapter 1, he says, this is how you grow in your faith. And he says, add to your faith knowledge and virtue and self-control, love for one another and love for everybody. He says, if you do this, you won't be barren. You won't be unfruitful. uh, You won't fall away. Uh, So he's telling them how to remain strong, how to grow in their faith, he tells them, this is what I experienced, and he tells his testimony of what he saw and experienced and heard from Jesus, especially as it pertains to the Mount of Transfiguration when he's up on this mountain, saw Christ in his glory, or a degree of glory beyond his humanness, and, and he's telling everybody, he says, I'm telling you what I've seen, heard, saw, and then he encourages people to pay attention to the prophets. He says, pay attention to the prophets. They're right 100% of the time. Pay attention to scripture. Pay attention to the word of God. And now we continue today into chapter two. If you're tracking with us or online, there's an outline you can download. And number one is expect false teachers. Paul says, starting with verse one, but there were also false prophets in Israel just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they'll bring sudden destruction on themselves. If you read through the Old Testament, he's talking about be false prophets, uh, but there were also false prophets in Israel. Yeah, there were. Oftentimes more false prophets than true prophets. And as early on as Baal, um, I'm sorry, Balaam, uh, the prophet Balaam, Uh, in the book of Numbers, betraying Israel because of his greed. His services could be bought for the right price. I think of later on when uh, the lineage of kings is happening throughout Judah and Israel, and um, the country is really overrun by false prophets, and Elijah comes on the scene, and he challenges all the false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth up on Mount Carmel, And, and he's there along with 850 false prophets on that mountain. We read throughout uh, Ezekiel, we read in uh, many of the the books in Jeremiah, uh, so many warnings of false prophets, so many uh, examples 
of false prophets. Jeremiah 6.13, from the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. From prophet to priest, they are all frauds. And um, you read Jeremiah chapter 23, that's a whole chapter describing and confronting false prophets in Israel. Prophets telling lies in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Peter says, in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter's talking to the church. False teachers in Christendom, in in church. Expect false teachers. Expect them among you. People that call themselves Christians, believers, seminary professors, Christian book authors, Bible commentary authors, elders, pastors, worship leaders. I don't want to expect false teachers. I don't want to expect false prophets. And the goal is not to give us paranoia, and God doesn't want us to be paranoid, but he does want us to expect false prophets. And I don't want my kids to be paranoid of semi-trucks, but I do want them to realize that if they run out in the street and a semi-truck hits them, that would be devastating. And so Peter is a realist. He's just telling you as it is. Same as the other writers in the New Testament. In fact, almost every book in the New Testament warns and warns of false prophets. We'll quickly look at a few examples. First John 4.1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if, they, if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are, keyword, many false prophets in the world. 2 John 1.7, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Jude 1.4 speaks of false teachers. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. One more example, Jesus himself, Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Are you expecting false teachers? We're on the alert, right? At the time Christ... At the time of Christ in the early church, false prophets and teachers took on the form of Pharisees, Gnostics, ascetics. Think of the Pharisees, uh, Judaizers. They would leverage leadership for profit and power and position, um, implement their traditions of man, um, power grabs, Think of the Gnostics always touting a secret knowledge, a knowledge that's above and beyond orthodox teaching, above and beyond scripture, above and beyond authority of true Christian church and leadership, usually a license for sinning. Think of the ascetics or the practice of asceticism, the denial of things pleasurable. That looks fun. Huh? actually seeking out pain as a form of denial, and yet God created things for our enjoyment, and he he, uh, created the world with pleasure and enjoyment in mind. Whatever form, expect false teachers, expect them, and expect them to be clever. Clever. Subpoint, they will be clever. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. Might be very subtle, but dangerously twisting and misleading. You know, when you watch the movies and someone makes some poison cookies, they don't leave a sign saying poison cookies. Charles Spurgeon once said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. So clever, so many false teachings, thousands of false teachings, more than thousands of false teachings. Some of them over the ages have included 
Um, adding additional requirements for salvation besides faith in Jesus and his work. The apostle, the, the Pharisees would often do that, the Judaizers. And Paul was refuting many of these when he wrote to the Galatians, Galatians 5.1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Yeah. Pharisees were trying to put them back under the law instead of the grace, the free grace yeah. and love of God. Scriptures, uh, oh, many others, false teachings uh, preach that grace is a license to indulge the lusts of the flesh. They condone and encourage sinful lifestyles. That would often be the Gnostics. Uh, Galatians 5.19, for you have been called to live in freedom, my dear brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Another one would be to question the person of Jesus, arguing either against his Godhead or denying his humanness. John rebutted that nicely in the first chapter, setting out the truth that in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. And so the word in verse 14, the word became human. The word took on flesh and made his home with us. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. John didn't. And the other disciples, they have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son, a male human, conceived of the Holy Spirit and yet given birth to by the Virgin Mary. God and man, DNA in place. Others attempt to cast doubt on the reliability and the authority of Scripture. False prophets love to do that. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. There's a great deal of support and evidence for the reliability of scripture. Oftentimes, false prophets will set up straw man arguments. Straw man arguments which present God or the Bible or its values out of context and then attack it and dismantle it and claim that they have proven that they either do not exist or that they're corrupt or unreliable. The point is, is that false teachers will strategically, <coughs> easy for me to say, strategically present deceptive heresies. Expect false prophets, Peter says, expect clever lies. They will contradict the Lord. They will contradict, disavow, reject, abdicate, even deny the master who bought them. Idle talk, meaningless arguments, speculations that are purposefully geared to attack the truth. Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy is protege and young, young pastor. When I left for Macedonia, 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those who are teaching, whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help the people live a life of faith in God. Not helpful. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about, even though they speak so confidently. Yeah. False teachers will speak confidently. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they didn't. I wish you could see right through it. They speak so confidently. Peter says these people who are bought by God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ will go so far as to contradict and deny what God has clearly taught and accomplished. I remember that being the case when I went to seminary and I was taking classes online and they were having us read so many theological books and, um, and different people's opinions and experts and professors' opinions and uh, with lots of letters behind their name. And, and one guy was very confidently asserting that Heaven and hell in the afterlife is more of an invention of the New Testament. And it's, it's, um, 
He says it really wasn't mentioned. If you look carefully and you read through the Old Testament, you're not going to see evidence of people having an idea of afterlife. That's a concoction kind of of the, of the New Testament or it's something new in, in the minds. And, and I can't remember if he's saying that it's, it's true or not true, but he was just, he was saying with great confidence that that's not something you see in the Jewish faith. And I just thought, wow. And, and I thought, yeah, I've read the Old Testament many times and, and I think he's right. I was so wrong. And he was so wrong. I started looking up verses and they were all over the place. And very specific. Job says, after my flesh is decayed and rotted in the grave, yet will I see my Redeemer in the flesh. In the flesh I will see my Redeemer. There are many verses. Daniel, God talked to Daniel and said, you're going to rest, you're going to be in the grave, but at the end of the day, you will rise to your inheritance. It is scattered all over. And I thought, how could I have swallowed that one? How did that one get pulled over on my... And how did he speak so confidently on that? The Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the end of Ecclesiastes say, um, uh, what is the full purpose of man to obey him and keep his commandments? For God will render unto every man according to his works. Big deal, man. There is a payday, a judgment day. Teachings of heresy. Maybe deny that Jesus is God or the Messiah or deny that Jesus is the way to the Father, the way of salvation or sufficient. Deny that God created the world or that we're accountable to a higher power. Believe that we're masters of our own souls, captain of our own. Deny that there are moral absolutes. Believe that everything is subjective. Deny that heaven and hell exist. Believe that there's no afterlife, no justice, reward, compensation. Deny that God has a design, and an intent for sexuality. Believe that we determine for ourselves what is morally acceptable. Now, it is one thing to have struggles and honest questions and doubts and to be seeking wise, godly counsel, but to adamantly and continually be teaching and endorsing things contrary to God's word is dangerous. And here's an important distinction. An off-center idea may be out there, but not necessarily heresy, or there may be good teachers that may stumble at points or in times in what they say. None of us understands God perfectly, so we must be generous and helpful long before we condemn and cast someone out. James says, if anyone can control his uh, mouth, his words, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Uh, with the, the idea being that no one is perfect in what they say. And so there are good and faithful pastors and teachers that may stumble or may say something that may need correction. They may need more knowledge and insight. Yet when confronted with the truth and given time to process, they will revise their words to present the ways of truth more adequately, more accurately. The label that Peter is applying is relegated to those who are deliberately and strategically, he uses the word cleverly, preaching heresy, contradicting the Lord, denying the master who bought them. Which brings up an important um, topic, and that is how do we go about, how do we ensure that we have good pastors and good leaders? in our churches. No human candidate is without sin, but God is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he uses imperfect people and he fills them with his spirit. And he gives us, look what God does. Twice in scripture we see a specific list of qualifications being given to ensure a credibility to ensure a trustworthiness for leadership in his church. And so to Titus, Paul is writing to Titus in chapter one. He's writing to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter three. And let's go ahead and look at it. Here's the qualification um, for appointment of church leadership as regards to elders. 
pastors within a church. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. There is kind of a filter that God gave the church. This is what you look for. These are important things. No person is perfect, of course, but here is a filter and here is credentials and a character character traits to look for that will best qualify, will find the best qualified for that work. Later in his letter, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands in the appointing of leaders. Be slow to appoint people to positions of leadership within the church as far as it goes for elders, pastors, so forth. Spiritual immaturity may lack sufficient root systems or a person may be filled with pride and falter. Life church, do not fall for quick-talking, slick, good-looking, high-profile, popular speakers, regardless of their platform size, their following. Put little weight on those who come in with all the answers, who come in with lots of charisma, because we are to be a church that rightly divides the word of truth, and we give more credibility to track record as defined here, faithfulness, humility, than we do to strength and bravado. Philippians 3, Paul had that heart for the Philippian church, and he said, Philippians 3, 17 through 18, he instructed his churches to follow the right leaders. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. And learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. False prophets speak to the flesh not to the spirit. They speak against the spirit of truth. They align with truth only so much as to feign credibility while twisting, misusing, compromising, undermining proper context and purpose. They will be subpoint conquered. Will bring sudden destruction upon themselves. Destruction will come, it'll certainly come. And when it comes, it'll come suddenly and it'll come overwhelmingly. We'll do more on on this in the final section, but you don't make sense of life on this side of the equation. Justice is not on this side of the equation. I've said this before. It is on the other side of eternity. Justice is. Number two today, many will follow deception. Peter is, is laying it out in this letter. Expect false teachers. Expect them to be clever. Um... They will, be, they will condemn, or they will contradict the Lord, and they will be conquered. He says this, uh, many will follow deception. Verse 2, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. <clears throat> and because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Don't be surprised when you see people turn from the faith. Don't be surprised when people that you thought were mature or influential Christians leave the faith. Don't be surprised when 
famous musicians, famous pastors, influential Christians all of a sudden reject the Savior. Many will follow false teachers, evil teaching, and shameful immorality. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 7, 13 through 16, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many, for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Paul prophesied in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, he says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires And they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. When you don't have truth to hold on to, or if you reject the truth, what else do you have to hold on to? Myths, nothingness, deception, lies. That's all you can hold on to. And that's what God will give us if we reject the truth. Not because he's handing it out there. He's handing truth out there. And if we don't grasp that truth, he has nothing else to offer us but what our fleshly desires, our selfishness wants, which is lies and deceptions. If we are to expect false teachers, Paul says we should, or Peter says we should, and Paul, expect clever lies And if we're to expect that many people will be deceived, we must take these warnings seriously as the church of Christ. And we must ask ourselves, am I at risk? Certainly nobody is beyond falling. We should all stay alert. But let's let's briefly look at five people that are, five types of people that are at greatest risk. Number one, at risk if you are outside of the word. Peter had earlier said, he said, pay attention to the prophets. If you're outside of the word, you're easily deceived. Acts 17.11, the people of Berea were much more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. That's kind of neat. Say, okay, Paul. Okay, Peter, you walked with Jesus for three years. You're one of the big head honcho disciples. Um, Great, but I'm going to check for myself here in the word of God. And so that that is our authority. And the authority that a pastor has is from the scripture. And so the Brians were great at that. When you're grounded in the word of God, you're not blown by the winds of deceit. You can see through the arguments that are oriented in self-help, emotionalism, fear-driven, greed-driven, lust-driven. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, David said. Psalm 119, 105. When you're in the word of God, you see the truth more clearly and you identify counterfeit more quickly. How's your Bible reading plan going? Hey, that's not, a, that's not a question to shame you. If you've fallen off the horse, you get back on the horse. Right. And those Bible reading plans, you know, you've gone a month or two and you haven't been in there, get back on the horse, get back in the boat. It is nutrition to our soul. It is protection for us. It is fortitude, yes. health, wisdom, strength, protection. Another um, great risk, if you're at great risk, number two, is if you are outside of fellowship. People who isolate themselves from other believers run a higher risk of falling into temptation and deception and discouragement. Hebrews 10.25, Paul said, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Another one, you're at risk if, number three, you are compromising. You have a leg on both sides of the fence. You're living living it up in the world. It's just a dangerous place to be because you're opening yourself up to so many lies. So much better to be open and honest about struggles, to get help from your brothers and sisters in the Lord, 
Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? We're all sinners. We're all going to sin. But there's a lifestyle that is very worldly and living in the world that will put you at great risk. We should not see how far we can get from God and still do well. How close we can stay to him. Number four, at risk, uh, people who are hurting, bitter, or loaded down with shame. You're, ex- you're especially at risk when you're hurting or if you allow bitterness to grow. You're loaded down with shame. Look at Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. False teachers will prey on the vulnerable. There's an excellent example of this in first, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 9. It says, they, false teachers who act religious or spiritual, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, and it goes on. Number five, you're at risk if you are proud. Proverbs 11.2, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You think of Pharaoh, you think of Nebuchadnezzar, if you've heard of those guys, proud hearts. You're easily deceived when your heart becomes proud. You have an obscured perception of reality and where your value and worth comes from and to whom you are or aren't accountable. Don't let success blind you. Those are just five examples. I'm sure there's more. The point being is we don't want to be at risk. We don't want to be at risk. Life Church, we want to be in the word. We want to be connected to one another in healthy fellowship, a family looking out for one another, giving our hurts to God rather than becoming bitter, humbling ourselves before God, living open and honest lives. That sounds a lot like our, our Life Church membership class and the packet that we go through, our seven commitments of a team member. Those are all in there. Why do the authors of Scripture so often admonish the readers to stand firm, to guard their hearts and minds, to finish the race, to not stray, to not fall away, to endure? Because many will follow the false teachers' evil teachings and shameful immorality. That's what Peter says. As a result, subpoint, the truth is undermined. When unchristian things are done in the name of Christianity, the way of truth is slandered. When supposed Christians or self-proclaimed Christians are endorsing heresy, debauchery, dishonesty, denying their master Jesus, the way of truth is slandered. Undermining God's character, his Messiah, his kingdom ways, his instructions, his commands, and so forth, the way of truth is slandered. When television evangelists, YouTube sensations, Christian publishing companies, Christian retail attempts to promote sales over ministry, the way of truth is slandered. When self-promotion overtakes humility and dependence upon God, the way of truth is slandered. When someone preaches or teaches that salvation must be earned or maintained through their own work, truth is slandered. When the gospel of Jesus dying on the cross is replaced with a Social gospel, the way of truth is undermined and the true importance negated. So there's a lot of people that are looking for reasons not to believe. And many hearts that are searching for reasons and excuses not to believe the truth. And they're giving plenty of reasons when the way of truth is slandered. Not legitimate reasons, but reasons for doing so. Question for us to ask, is my heart eager to search for truth or is it eager to search for deception that supports 
my selfish desires? Is my heart quick to write off or disregard truth, or is it careful to search matters out further, to dig deeper, even through my doubts? The way of truth is undermined because of false teachers. Next subpoint: greed is underlying. Peter says greed is the motive, underlying motive. Philippians 1.15, it's true, Paul says, that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. But others preach Christ with pure motives. Greed is the underlying motive Peter's talking about with false prophets. Many see the pulpit as a way of promotion, self-promotion. Many see the stage as a way of prestige. Many see the auditorium through the lens of preoccupation, selfish ambition. Not a heart to serve God's people. Not a sacrifice to nurture God's sheep. Not a cross to carry, but a cross to stand on. False teachers see the church as a means to prosperity. Whereas greed is the underlying motive, subpoint strategy is the underhanded method. Our main text reads, In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. Strategy is the underhanded method. Conversely, 2 Corinthians 4.2, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. The Apostle Paul, if you don't know, he was definitely entitled to a salary, but oftentimes paid his own way. He often walked into towns knowing he'd be mistreated and abused. And you can read a lot about that in 2 Corinthians 11. He's talking to them again and saying, um, confronting that church and telling them the difference between a false teacher and a true teacher. There's a difference between honest wages and manipulative extortion. Satan's strategies, the world's system, false teachers strategizing not to give people pure spiritual milk, not to provide the meat of God's word, but to give them what their fleshly lusts desire and to do so for personal gain. In and through any available median, politics, media, school, the goal is to undermine the truth of God in order to seize control and power and money. And so rewrite narratives, reinterpret history, make science subjective and relative instead of objective and verifiable. Redefine terms and language, reward apathy and passivity, provide pleasure in place of purpose, providing empty promises of peace and safety in exchange for obedience and loyalty. Whatever must be done to whatever length to enslave people. Kill, steal, and destroy is Satan's mission, and false prophets are his employees. In our main text, Peter says, but God condemned them long ago. Did you know that? Long ago. From the beginning of time, God condemned them. It's already in the plans that those who would humble themselves would receive the grace and mercies of Jesus Christ. And those who harden themselves, harden their hearts, and are filled up with pride, that uh, God would set himself against them. Sets himself against the self-righteous, the false prophets, the extortioners. God is outside of time, so he knows in advance those who will humble themselves and those who will harden their hearts. So while we have free will in the present, there is an ultimate judgment that you and I will discover, a judgment that fits our heart condition. Those with a hardened heart will be destroyed. We have the opportunity to respond to God, the love of Christ. We have the opportunity to say yes to the truth and yes to the graces and mercies of God. And there is no reason for us to perish in our sins. All should turn to the Lord for he is kind and compassionate and his love endures forever. Second yeah. Peter 3.9, some people say, well, where is he? And where is judgment? When is it coming? And 
And 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God wants every single person to experience his forgiveness. God wants the worst of sinners to experience his love and mercy and grace. And that is, that is, um, that's outside of life church. That's outside of, of any building. That's outside of any construct, any organization. It is God who made you, God who made the earth, God who loves you as a plan for your life, God who sent a promised Messiah, promised hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the New Testament, came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, told people, I'm here to save the lost. I give my life as a sacrifice. And I will take my life up again. And then boom, he does it, and the whole world is turned upside down. God loves you. God loves you. God wants everyone to repent. What does repent mean? It means to change from self-reliance to faith in God, faith in Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. God loves you. That's not a life church thing. It's not an organizational thing. That's, that's a God's kingdom thing. Right. We're happy to be a part of that, right. certainly. That's a God and you thing. And everyone who puts their faith in Christ is adopted into the kingdom of God and will be with him forever. Thank you, Lord. And I encourage you, if that's something today that you um, feel compelled about, that you would place your faith in Jesus. And you have questions, I encourage you to reach out to a pastor to call the church or another person that you know that is a believer in Jesus. So there you have it. Um, last subpoint: false teachers, uh, destruction is unnegotiable. It's unavoidable. When you are leading people away from the God of goodness and life and love, you are leading people away from that. You are separating people. You are obscuring the truth. Destruction is unnegotiable. God even wants false teachers to repent and be saved. He's ready and willing and able and in a second, in a moment, as soon as there's any faith placed in him whatsoever, he is ready. But those who are unrepentant and unremorseful, continuing that, that, uh, that wide path that Jesus talked about, destruction is unnegotiable. Judgment day, their destruction will not be delayed. Hebrews 10, 29 through 31 says, just think about how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God tells you and I not to take personal vengeance because he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Only God can see all the motives, and only God knows the heart. Only God can see the spirit of each person. He will be the judge. And there's a place for good government and authority and law enforcement and penalties and punishments and so forth. A place for seeking justice within proper channels. That's that's biblical. We're to fight for the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. But an example of this vengeance thing is David. Great example where King Saul is hunting David down, attempting to kill him. David has been nothing but loyal to the king, but uh, Saul sees him as a threat to the throne. And on more than one occasion, David has the opportunity where Saul is literally in his lap. David could have taken his life, killed King Saul. But he relented and said, vengeance belongs to God. Yeah. So destruction is unnegotiable. God will judge, number three, There is a judge upon the throne. There is an authority with the final say. Which brings us to our third section of text, verse 4. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell. 
into gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what would happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He's especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desires and who despise authority. But that's verse 10. That's an extra verse for the day. Subpoint: God has a track record. You know what? He's got a track record. You can count on it. God is consistent in his judging. He didn't spare the angels who sinned. He didn't spare the ancient world during Noah's time. Why didn't he spare them? Genesis 6, 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. There was nothing redeemable. Nothing. Their only intent at all times ever was only evil. Every thought was only, at all times, only evil. And God wiped them off the face of the earth. He didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, ungodly people, You read about Sodom and Gomorrah and the people there. There was nothing good, nothing left, nothing redeemable, no faith of any sort, of any size. When the most loving thing God can do is destroy a people group, you know that you're pretty bad. We're all in need of saving. God God knows how to rescue, at some point, God knows how to rescue the godly. Aren't you glad about that? Do you know that, you know, he's wiping out all these people, but he sees Noah right there, and he says, hey, Noah, build a boat. Build a boat, build a boat, I'm going to rescue you. You show faith in me. Lot, you're in this terrible town, I want to get you out of there. Don't you see that? God's desire is to save, and he will save one person in a city of a million. Go to great lengths. God saw good old righteous Lot. It says righteous Lot. You guys know who Lot was? If anyone has read Genesis, you'll quickly see that Lot had some major flaws. He was not righteous according to his actions. He was a sinful dude. But he was righteous according to his faith. He believed God. He trusted in the Lord. He did desire to live for the Lord. God knows the hearts of all people. He looks beneath the skin. No one's righteous according to the flesh. God sends himself against the proud, the haughty, but he shows grace to the humble. The blood of Jesus is applied to the likes of Abraham, Lot, Noah. The godly will be saved, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. But subpoint three, God knows how to reserve the wicked for judgment. The wicked will be destroyed. They have a date they can't escape. Appointment that they can't cancel. And we'll conclude with this, Jesus Speaking in Luke 17, look at this cross-reference here. Jesus said that when he returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. And then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Peter's writing to the Christian church. He's telling them to grow in their faith. He's telling them to pay attention to the prophets, but warning them, hey, not everybody who calls himself a Christian, not everybody who teaches is telling the truth. Beware of false prophets. They're out there. They're going to be clever. They will, they will contradict the Lord, but they will be judged. He assures them. And that gave great comfort to the church. 
especially if they're being taken advantage of or persecuted, to tell them that, that God sees and God will judge and he will rescue his people. And he will not fail to judge and punish those who are false teachers. We've studied today, 2 Peter, a portion of it, and God would have us to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. He wants us to be full of his spirit, full of his love for one another. He wants us to endeavor to stay united in the spirit through the bond of peace. And so take a moment right now to respond back to God. And as we close in worship, will you respond to God's promptings in your spirit? Tell him him that you hunger for truth. Say, God, I want truth. I realize how important it is. Say, God, help me to grow in discernment and grace. Tell him, God, I want to walk in your truth. I want to uphold your truth. I want to speak your truth. I want to clarify the truth. I want it in my life, and I want it in my family, and I want it in my circle of influences. So will you do that this morning as we pray? God, we thank you this morning. Man, you're just always caring about us, Lord. You tell us what we need to hear. You warn us, Lord. You're, you're better than, a, I think of a, my mom warning me of things, or my dad warning me. Lord, you're just... You're just perfect, Lord, in helping your children navigate the courses, the winds and waves of this world. Lord, you are the solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand. And and we thank you for this text as we see Peter warning the church, Lord, and being a realist. Lord, I pray that Life Church, our people, our community, Um, could have their eyes wide open, that we would be learning all the things that are good and noble and true and praiseworthy and excellent. We'd be growing, Lord, in the faith, and and we'd be discerning, Lord. We could see through, Lord, facades and self-promotion and self-help. We could see right through that and realize it's a crock. Lord, our dependence would be on you, the author, the finisher of our faith, All other ground is sinking sand, Lord. Thank you, God, for the good work you're doing here. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.